Hello, my name is Brandon Reich, and you are listening to The Graphic Sound. Sound. Episode three, I'm going to answer your questions. First of all, thank you so much for listening to the first two episodes of The Graphic Sound. I am recording this a couple days after launching The Graphic Sound. I've been working on it for a couple months now, and all of this work, you know, I've done interviews, I've recorded episodes, I've been editing episodes, I've been picking music, I've been formatting how I want the episodes to go. I've been doing all of this stuff for a podcast that I have no idea if anyone's going to care about. So all of this has been work for something that that you have no idea how it's going to be received. I think a lot of actors go through that when they make movies or a lot of people go through that when they make something that they have to put their heart and soul into before there's any reception at all. So this podcast has been terrifying for me to do simply because I have no idea if anybody cares. I have no idea if I'm wasting my time. You know, I've got plenty of design work to do. So the fact that I'm adding this podcast to my list of things to do means that I'm hoping that somebody cares and I'm hoping that it'll be a worthwhile thing to do and I'm hoping that it helps somebody in some way. So all I can say is that the reception that I got these first couple days of launching this podcast could not have justified or confirmed what I was hoping any more than, I mean, everything you guys said, all the things you guys tweeted, the reviews on iTunes, All of this stuff that came in, you know, the amount of listens I got on the first uh, day, all of that stuff confirmed to me that there is a need for something like this in the design community. There is a need for something like this in the podcast world. I am so glad that I can bring you something that is valuable to you, that, that is helpful to you. So if it helps you, you know, do me a favor and tell somebody about it because I think they need the help too. So it's terrifying doing this thing. It is so terrifying for me doing this thing because I'm putting myself out there. I'm being corny. I'm being cheesy. I'm being like, I've been through phases of my life where it was cool to like put out a vibe, you know, put out a mystique and be cool and be stoic or whatever. And You know, I've been that way at certain times in my life and certainly being in a band, it's valuable to be that way. You know, you want to be this stoic character. You want to be this person that's kind of keeps things close to the vest or, you know, just somewhat um, mysterious, I guess I should say. So if I decide to get on this microphone and just let it all out and be completely transparent and open about this stuff, then I'm being vulnerable. I'm putting myself out there. I'm doing the exact opposite of what I used to do. And it's all in hopes that it's going to help somebody else. So with that said, I'm just repeating myself here, but thank you guys so much for um, receiving the podcast the way you received it. Thank you so much for saying the kind words back to me. Um, And I need it as much as you need it, really. And, um, you know, I'm stumped. I'm burnt out. I'm um, grinding through this work. And I know, and I know a lot of other people don't understand this, um, a lot of people who aren't creatives, but I know what it's like to feel completely identified by your creative ability and feel like that isn't understood by hardly anybody. They don't understand what it's like to be creative all day. They don't know what it's like to drain your brain on a daily basis. And then the next morning you have to come up with new ideas and do it all over again. I know what it's like. I'm telling you, I know what this is like. And that's what this podcast is for. The coming episodes are going to explain that. And there's going to be interview episodes. So full disclosure, um, episode three was actually going to be an interview. But what I wanted to do is make sure that you guys know that the tone of burnout, the tone of that first and second episode, that tone is going to continue. We'll call those the monologue shows. That tone is going to continue. I'm going to continue giving you this thing. But what I also want to do is interview other creative people and see what's behind what they're doing. See if I can get them somewhat transparent about the stuff that they make and why they make it and what they've gone through while they're making it and how they get stumped and all that sort of thing. So what I want you to go out on a limb with is know that just because the person I interview isn't a graphic designer doing the exact same thing as you do, I want you to know that you still have something to learn from them. I wouldn't interview these people if I didn't think you had something to learn from them. I wouldn't interview these people if I didn't think that the conversation that we have contains something valuable to you. 
there's going to be some little nugget of information in there that is going to make the light bulb go off for you. That's why I'm doing the interview episode. So I've got Colin Rigsby from House of Heroes and Vespertine. He's actually a designer himself. Ryan Clark from Invisible Creature. Jesse Bryan from Belief Agency. Andy J. Miller has a podcast called Creative Pep Talk, which I've been on a couple times. Him and I are friends. And we are doing something similar here with these podcasts. And I hope him and I can hang out on those podcast charts together um, because he has a version of what he's given you and I have a version of what I'm giving you. And I think that if you don't have Creative Pep Talk on your podcast list, if you're not subscribed to that, add Creative Pep Talk to that list because he's giving people what they need as well. So with that said, those are the interviews that I already have. I've recorded those. Those are good to go. Those are in the queue, um, ready to be released. And I'm going to pepper in these monologue episodes alongside. I might even be able to go monologue, interview, monologue, interview throughout the whole thing. That's at least the format that I'm going to try to do. So this episode is answers to some questions that I sent out a tweet on Twitter a while ago that said, you know, ask me any creative questions or something like that. I'm going to use it for a thing. The thing is this episode, and I'm going to do this a lot more. I'm actually going to do, I want to use Facebook, the Facebook group, and see if we can have some conversations in there. And if there's some really, really good conversations, I'm going to see if I can take those and convert them into a podcast and and elaborate on them in an episode. So anyways, this episode is answers. I'm going to answer some of the top questions I got off of Twitter. Um, Like I said, I sent a tweet out. I got a ton in. So I collected all those and I circled which ones I wanted to answer. So these are answers to those, um, which I'll say in the episode, I'm not actually going to shout out the people who asked the questions because I don't want to get myself in trouble if for some reason you don't want shouted out or you want to remain anonymous or whatever. So these questions are good questions that I think a lot of people in the creative community have. I pick them because I think they're probably the thing on a lot of other people's minds. So this is a compilation of really good questions that I give my best answers to. So without further ado, this is episode three, Answers. your favorite designers. I think I'm a little bit old school. Well, I don't know if the people that I'm about to say are my favorite designers um, would get mad at being old school, but I, I have designers who influenced me early on and that I really loved early on. And I don't know that I found new people that continue to influence me just because I'm not I'm not constantly looking at other designers' work the way I used to be when I first started. Um, when you first start, obviously, you're always looking at you know this whole entire field of graphic design. You're so fascinated by it, and these new designers just sort of like pop into your life, and um, you just get obsessed with them. But that's sort of like an early thing. So it's sort of like asking me what my favorite bands are. Um, they would be all 15 year old bands because back when I was obsessing over bands and like salivating at you know. Ex- exploring new bands and discovering new bands that, that was a different age so i don't really have time to get obsessed with any new designers there's definitely ones that i see that i'm really impressed by um, and i'm not the best at all i'm somewhere in the middle of this whole design world and i'm okay with that uh but you know so i don't want to say that i'm like looking down on everybody I, i'm just somewhere in the middle i don't know where i am but who are your favorite designers Right off the bat, I've got to say Invisible Creature. I would say Invisible Creature represent an entire movement of design and an entire underground style that sort of dictated an entire world of design, at least my world of design. So Invisible Creature, which is Don Clark and his brother Ryan Clark, they're just my my favorite. They used to have a studio called Asterix Studio, and they were the first designers that sort of like made sense out of the things that I liked. So I knew that I was artistic. I knew that I was into music and I know that I designed stuff for my band, but they showed how to like kind of organize that whole thing into like an actual career or an actual like portfolio. So they were doing design inside the music industry. It was a lot of album layouts, posters, and t-shirt graphics. And that just made perfect sense to me. Obviously I, you know, got a little bit more interested into apparel graphics. So invisible creature, top of the list. Second would be Aaron Draplin. So if you don't know about Aaron Draplin, he's 
well, just go to draplin.com and you'll understand what Aaron Draplin is. Aaron Draplin, he's another outspoken member of the design community. His talks are awesome. He's really brash and intense and straightforward. He used to work in like the snowboarding uh, world and now he just does everything for everybody. He's got a very distinct style with his patented thick lines. But I think that I love Draplin's work, but I really, really, really love his point of view. I think that I there's something that resonates when I hear Draplin speak because I'm one of those designers that I don't necessarily think I'm entitled to a single thing. I don't deserve a single thing from anybody. I know that, but I'm really, really grateful that I get to design graphics all day and I get to do art all day and I get to do what I'm best at for a living. So Aaron Draplin is probably um, my number two favorite designer. Number three, I don't, there is no big number three. I think I, I would put maybe Ty Matson at number three. And what I like about Ty Matson, he does great work, but his work, it's, it's a lot more versatile. So I've always liked seeing a designer's portfolio where one thing doesn't look anything like the other. I've respected that because I feel like that means that we're able to get into our clients' projects and, you know, want the best for them as opposed to wanting to get our voice heard or wanting to get our aesthetic shown. You know, I, I like the idea of putting our aesthetic second and letting the client's needs, um, you know, be the star of the show. And I feel like Ty Matson's portfolio shows that. So for number four, let's, uh, let's, let's make it a tie between Matt Lehman, uh, Matt Stevens, you know, like Dan Casero, Dan Christofferson, Nate Utesh, Morning Breath, uh, House Industries. I like those land boys, Curtis Jenkins, um, studio mast, okay. Pants, Mikey Burton. Like I'm just going to name my friends is what's going to end up happening. Jordan butcher. He's, he's up there. Clark Orr. I don't know if I don't say the name, I'm going to get really embarrassed. You know, Amy and Jen hood. Um, man, I just, I like, there's a lot of people that I just sort of really like to nestle into all their work. I think there's a lot of amazing work out there. Dribble sort of was a cool way to, you know, open us all up to, you know, all the designers that are out there. You get to get a really, really good glimpse of people's work on dribble.com. If you're not familiar with dribble.com, it's dribble with three B's, D-R-I-B-B-B-L-E.com. Uh, and that's kind of a good way to just, it's kind of like a condensed portfolio, I guess. It's supposed to be, what are you working on? So sometimes we're taking screenshots of what we're doing, but it, it also turns into a portfolio, but it's a good way to kind of get a vibe for what everybody's doing. And, you know, all the other artists are out there. Uh, there's a lot of really, really great work. There's, there's just a few like top guys, like I said, and then there's just a whole bunch of people that are totally doing great work. So it's a good time to be a designer because it's, we're all being pushed. We can look around and see the other people that are great and, you know, kind of sit up straight and try to be better and get pushed by, uh, pushed by our peers or become peers if that's the goal. Next question is what's your biggest daily struggle? This is a good question. My biggest daily struggle is, is really just staying up, not staying awake necessarily, just staying creative and positive and optimistic and awake and vibrant and all that stuff. I'm really, really hyper-focused on how am I feeling right now. And I think possibly the how am I feeling question that I ask myself all the time is adding to my anxiety. So I'm trying to get to feeling as good and creative and motivated as possible every day. So I have a really, really good routine, I think. I wake up, first thing I go make my slow-carb diet uh, breakfast, which is like four eggs, some vegetables, some sausage links, and some black beans. I eat that every morning for breakfast. I get coffee in the morning. I put cinnamon in my coffee. Um, and then I actually go out on... I know you didn't ask me my daily routine, but this is where it's heading. I... I go out on my porch. I have a killer porch. Um, I live in the woods, by the way. I live in the country. I'm in the woods. And uh, it's funny because I have this meditation app. 
I go out and I meditate for 15 minutes every morning and the meditation app has sounds on it. So there's like a soundtrack and I put headphones on, I put noise canceling headphones on to just kind of get lost in that world. And I just really sit still for 15 minutes. Um, I actually, I don't levitate or anything weird like that. I just kind of sit still and clear my head for 15 minutes every morning. It's a good, it's kind of like sweeping the porch, I guess, in a way it's like, uh, just kind of, you know, tidying up, get it clean. Um, all that weird stuff that I might be focused on or, uh, stagnant on kind of just clears it out and, uh, gives me a fresh start each day. But anyway, I put these noise canceling headphones on and they've got all these nature sounds on it. And I have the headphones on for 15 minutes, minutes hearing nature sounds. I take my headphones off and the real sounds that are at my back porch are way better than whatever the nature sounds on the app are. But, um, so that's a big shout out to the calm app, C A L M. Yeah, I get on there and I do a 15-minute calm uh, meditation every day. And then after that, I get up and I get to work. And I want to work early. Like I, if I work later in the day, the later it goes in the day, the less productive I am. Um, I'm super productive in the morning. So there's actually been phases where I wake up and I don't eat breakfast or I don't even get coffee. I just go straight to the office and work. That's pretty productive, but it doesn't sustain for the rest of the day. It just makes the first couple hours of work really, really, uh, you know, really productive, which sometimes I need. But my, my biggest daily struggle is really just staying excited. I used to make some posters and I made one that said, fight to stay excited. The world wants to bum you out. So there is this challenge that we face every day to stay excited. It's not like this easy thing of, you know, you're just amped up and that's just your personality. Well, maybe it is for some people, but it's not for me. For me, I've got to go through a whole thing to stay up. I'm usually good in the morning. I wake up. I can usually like, you know, be in a really good mood right first thing in the morning when I wake up. But um, that fades over time. And the reality is sometimes like sometimes the work that comes in is annoying work and I have to go through, is this work I really want to do or is it work for a client that I really love? And while I would like to tell this client that this isn't stuff that I'm really interested in doing, I don't know that that's really worth hindering the relationship at all. I'd rather just do whatever they ask of me just so that I become this reliable machine for them. I think I hold more value in, you know, maintaining these relationships with my contacts than I do, you know, kind of like expressing myself through my work. I, I've, I guess I don't want to say given up because it sounds so negative, but my goal isn't to show you how amazing of a designer I am. My goal is to get the work done and and to make sure the client's happy and to, you know, to get this stuff out the door. If I was, if my goal was to like prove to everybody that I was a great designer, it would be a much more annoying path and it would be super subjective. Like everybody would have another opinion about my work or whatever. And, you know, that opinion would, you know, dictate my mood and, I'm just not going to let people have that type of power over me to their opinion on my work dictates who I feel like I am as a designer. I can't do that. But what I do know that I am is a guy that goes to bat for his clients and I get, and I meet deadlines and I get the stuff done. I'm reliable. I'm communicative. I'm, um, I'm there. So that's what I want to be more than anything else. And that's how I've been able to maintain a career in design for, uh, for over a decade now. So my biggest daily struggle is honestly just staying motivated. And I know that that's a pretty blanket statement. I think everybody's that way. Um, but you have to figure out how to stay motivated through the work that you don't actually want to do. Maybe the long term is stop doing the work that you want to do. But man, you got to work a long time before you're ready to say stuff like that. If you've been in this game for a few years and you're talking about, well, I don't do work like that then you're not going to make it in the in this industry. You're just not. Uh, you've got to bite the bullet. You've got to work your butt off. You've got to figure out what your work ethic is first before you start making demands like that. You've got to change your perspective to know that you are thankful that you get to do what you're best at for a living, that you get to do any ounce of artistic thing for a living, for money. Someone will pay you to draw pictures you got to put that in perspective instead of like making demands early on. Give yourself a decade before you start making any demands. So that's my biggest daily struggle, staying motivated, staying optimistic, staying positive. Um, I am a positive person, so it makes me extra annoyed when I find myself in a negative headspace. So I, I don't like being in a negative headspace, and every day is a challenge to keep myself out of that negative headspace, whether that be through food or for coffee or you know, not answering the phone, making sure that if someone's calling me and it's going to stress me out, I don't answer that. 
all that stuff. That's my biggest daily struggle. I think being more productive in work means being really bad in friendships. Luckily, I have a wife that is supportive of what I do and she loves me and she understands uh, why I do what I do and she understands the method at which I do it. So she's not like offended that I'm not really available for conversation all day. Uh, she gets it. She understands it. But I, but when I make time, I make time. I don't, I don't work on the weekends. I don't do any of that stuff. That's the time I at least give myself to chill out and not think about work. So it's possible that I don't even touch my computer for Saturday and Sunday. But my biggest daily struggle, staying motivated, staying focused. And for some reason, it's getting harder as I get older. So yeah, I think that you've got to inject yourself with exciting projects and kind of sprinkle them over everything else so you have something to look forward to if you've just got a bunch of projects that are kind of boring lined up maybe just add something that's free but is exactly what you want to do so at least you can get excited about doing it you'd be surprised how excited you can get for free work okay i got a good question here so you work really fast what jobs, if any, do you slow down and take your time on? And what kind of work would you like to do that you have not had the opportunity to do yet? This is a good question because it hits me at a good point in my life right now. So I work really fast, but I think that I've just embraced the fact that I work really fast and I don't necessarily... I'm not like always saying, I just want to slow down. I just want to get a project that I can take my time on. I'm not doing that all the time. You know, the for me, my whole career is band merchandise. And the reality of band merchandise is it's quick turn. You know, there's definitely emails that I need this today. I need this tomorrow. Um, I need this in two days. Like the turnarounds are super quick most of the time. If I get a week lead time on a request, that's like a huge luxury. So the reality of this work is that I'm turning and burning all the time. So you can't really justify taking a ton of time on band merchandise. You just can't do it. So what I've kind of relied on is the fact that if I just do this all day, every day for a decade, then I'm going to learn a lot of design principles and I'm going to learn how to simplify these processes more instead of like thinking right away, this is the ideal project that I want to do. I'm going to take as much time on it. Time is important, man. If you, uh, if you just roll your eyes every time that, you know, your client rushes a job, you're not really understanding what this world is. Like you, you understand what your talent is. And the reality is some of these jobs just need to be quick. And maybe you're going to get the projects where you can like explain to them how important you are and how much, you know, how you just need to have way more time to do this sort of thing. But in the meantime, like, you know, get the work done and learn how to work efficiently and, and all that stuff. So, so for the question is, what do I want to slow down on? Um, I think I've had the opportunity recently. There's a agency in town called Serif Creative. Again, I'm in Columbus, Ohio. There's an agency in town called Serif Creative and they have sort of like used me as a freelancer to do some like graphic work for some of their projects. So for me, it's really exciting because this graphic work is my chance to slow down and to sit down with the client, interview them, understand their perspective, understand what they're trying to do with their business and really like embrace it on more of a Don Draper level. Um, so those times where you have the meeting and you get to brainstorm and you have some time to just kind of think about it and not have to do any actual work until, you know, you've really thought the whole thing out. That's something that I crave and that's what these projects are giving me. So I've been able to do quite a few branding projects with this company. So it's really just, I found a new company locally that I can freelance for that I get to have meetings with and sit down and kind of, you know, do the slower version of this design thing. So the second part of that question was, what kind of work would you like to do that you have not had the opportunity to do yet? Um, I'm getting to do the stuff like, well, honestly, band merchandise is really my favorite type of stuff to do. It's not like... I'm not using band merchandise as a stepping stone to get somewhere else. It's what I want to do, man. Like a lot of people just kind of pass through it and a lot of people don't really want to do it for whatever reason. Like I love doing that stuff. I love a t-shirt graphic. I love like the compact, you know, the compact style that t-shirt graphics are in. I, I just, I love it. I think that 
t-shirt graphics are just a medium that just speaks to me. It speaks to exactly the type of thing that I want to do. I think there's a, I've got a little bit of ADD where I don't want to sit inside one project for like more than a day. So the fact that t-shirt graphics kind of come and go, that's exciting for me because I know that, okay, for the next four hours, I'm thinking about this band. If I want to play their music, if I want to do whatever, it's, it's a good vibe. Like it's the type of stuff that I want to do. So I don't want to get out of band tees. I always want to be doing band tees. But if I'm answering the question of what would I like to do that I haven't had the opportunity to do yet, I think I really like the idea of kind of blending interior design in, like retail design, store design, that sort of thing, in with the graphics. So I want to be able to create the graphics, but I also want to go into someone's store and to see the walls and the lighting and everything. So I want to kind of take my you know, like my passion for remodeling houses and stuff like that. I want to kind of put that on like a retail level or, you know, do that for a coffee shop, do that for uh, whatever it is that I'm branding. I think that it would be cool to, you know, use the branding idea for a lot more than just logos. I think once you get a career, you're going to understand how broad the term brand actually is. And you're going to want to, you're going to want to like redesign everything from the door handles to the signs on the bathrooms, to um, the fabric that's used on the seat cushions, to the stools, to the tabletops, to the brackets holding the tabletops up, to the dressing on the window, all that stuff. Like you're going to want to do all that stuff, you know, when you really have this brand in your hand that you really, really love. So I think I just want to move on eventually, not move on, but add eventually to um, what I do getting to create like a full 360 degree experience of the brand that doesn't just stop at graphics. So that's kind of what I want to do that I haven't really had the opportunity to do yet. I'm, I'm in the middle of a few projects where I'm kind of doing more of that sort of thing. So I'm getting fulfilled on that level, I can say. this question it says could we ever see you teach more and work less thank you i don't know about work less maybe i can work less uh i really like the work the problem with teach more and work less is you want to make sure that what you're teaching is real life experience and that you're actually doing the stuff some people say those who can't do teach that's a really mean thing to say but i definitely want somebody want to be somebody who's doing and also teaching i don't you know i want i want to come up and speak at your conference or at your college or whatever but i still want to kind of be exhausted from the work that i did earlier that day or the work that i got to do after the talk i want to be right in the middle of it and right in the thick of it to give you a good representation of it i don't want to be a guy who I used to work, used to work, used to work. And now all I do is talk. Now talking is, is fun. And you know, you could argue that, well, all of that work gave you the knowledge base that you have now so that you can talk about it and will actually respect what you have to say. But I always kind of want to make sure my hands are dirty and that I'm working and I'm busy doing it. But I love teaching and I love work. I mean, uh, I love speaking. Uh, I like doing this podcast. I want to do more of it. I kind of want to make sure that if I have the ability to speak to people and to give them um, good advice and inspire them, that I want to use that. I don't want to know that any of my talents are being wasted. And if speaking or podcasting or whatever you, or teaching or whatever you want to call it is a talent of mine, which I haven't really decided is or isn't yet. But if that is a talent of mine, I want to make sure it's not going away. So if there's a way that I can use my artistic talent every day and then use my ability to speak in another way or you know, even music or whatever. I just want to make sure the things I can do, I am doing, but there, you know, I got to find the limit before it just completely drives me crazy. Mentally, I have room to uh, speak more and to do more podcasts and stuff like that. But as far as time goes, I have to figure out a way to move things around a little bit more so I can actually, you know, have a lot of time to go and speak at the college or the conference or whatever I'm asked to do. It's just a hard thing when you make a certain amount of money being like, okay, I've worked this much and I make this amount of money, but if I do less work, I'm going to make less money. You know, I think being a freelancer and working on your own, you're not necessarily always trying to make more money, but you definitely don't want to make less money, which is a hard thing to navigate. And if you're not there yet, you may not know what I'm talking about, but yeah, so it's a weird balance to, to have. Like I don't necessarily need more. I just want to make sure that I don't lose anything. So I need to keep this thing pushing. I need to keep hustling. I want to hustle for the rest of my life. I don't know if there's going to be a moment when, you know, I'm sitting out and relaxing for an extended period of time and 
and I'm okay with that. You know, it's really, really, really bad to be super busy, but the only thing worse than being super busy is not being busy at all. So at least that's what I found in my life. So that's what could we ever see you teach more and work less? Maybe. Okay, this is a good question. The question is, how important is college for being successful in a graphic design career? Huh, college. Um, knowledge is important for being successful in a design career. Knowing what you're doing, knowing how to use the products, you know, the software, knowing how to use all that stuff, that is important. You can learn that through experience. You can learn that through your friends who are designers. You can, uh, you know, take Skillshare classes. I have a Skillshare class. I have a Creative Live class. Actually, I have two Skillshare classes and four Creative Live classes if you want to check those out online. But you can learn in any way that you can possibly get it. There's a million ways you can learn. College is one of those ways that you can learn. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to like talk bad about college. You know, if that's the route you want to take, if that's what you need to keep yourself dedicated and focused, then go to college. I don't have a degree. I have a very successful career, but I do not have a degree. However, when I was a sophomore in high school, I started realizing that I was really annoyed by the art classes in my high school. So for my junior and senior year, I went to a local community college and took most of my high school classes there. So I started taking the college courses early. So for my junior and senior year, I was leaving my high school you know, I went to a couple periods in high school and then I drove to downtown Dayton and went to Sinclair Community College. I took some English classes and stuff, but the real reason I went is to take the design classes and take all the art classes because I just wasn't being pushed, you know, making paper mache stuff or making pottery in high school art classes. So sorry, high school art teachers, um, nothing personal. I just wanted uh, to be more specific in what I was doing. So anyway, in that, those classes, I learned how to use Adobe Illustrator. I learned how to use the pen tool. Um, I learned how to use Photoshop. I learned how to use InDesign. I understood the basics of typography, 2D, and also I did a design survey class where I had to do a 45-minute presentation in front of people. I didn't end up getting the associate's degree that that program offered because my band was going to, you know, we signed to a record label and we were going to start playing shows. So the degree just wasn't that important to me. And I had started designing stuff for my band and the bands that we played with started wanting me to design stuff for them. So my career kind of got built that way. Now, there's no way for me to say use that route today. I mean, I started designing graphics for my band when I was, you know, 15 years old. And I was using, you know, I was using Sharpies and copy machines and all this kind of stuff to like, you know, make flyers and to make logos and make stickers. So there, you know, if I try to tell you to use that path, that's an impossible path. I would say start at 15 years old and start a band and make flyers for your band and blah, 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 blah. That, that path is just random. So there's no one path that I'm, that I can tell you to take to have a successful career in graphic design. You can get a bachelor's or a master's or whatever. And unfortunately, I think what's going to happen and when you get that degree, you're going to give the, get this false sense of entitlement and you're going to get this false sense of experience that you think that since you had this degree, now you have all this experience in the field. You don't have any experience in the field. So it doesn't matter where you come from. You have to pay your dues in the same way. Like you just need to learn what it is to work. You got, you need to learn what it's like to deal with the client. You got to learn what it's like to want some, what somebody else wants more than what you want. So you have, you know, if you're in design as opposed to like illustration or fine art, what you want and what your style is, it's secondary to what the client needs. So the big challenge really is figuring out the way that you can get the client what they need and also push yourself. And maybe at the end of it, you feel like your style's in there somewhere, but it came organically. It didn't come like you were going to force your style onto your, you know, your client's logo or your client's, I don't know, uh, collateral or print work or whatever. You got to be careful about, you know, what your voice is and how loud you're going to make your voice. Because I feel like in the beginning stages, you just got to learn to do the work and there's really no substitute for the experience. What's going to happen is you're going to take your degree or you're going to take your Skillshare class or your creative live class and all that stuff. And then you have to go through this whole new proving stage of applying that knowledge into actual real world work. So unfortunately, I'm sorry, but as soon as you come out of college, you're not going to be you're not going to be ready to make demands. And I think that the one knock that I could give 
um, on college is that you need to know that your degree isn't a false sense of false experience. It's, it's not experience yet. You just know some stuff, you know how to do this stuff, but you know, the sooner you can get to learn how to use that in actual real world design things and actually deal with clients and actually deal with revisions and, you know, understanding what the client wants and kind of being able to push aside what you want from time to time is a pretty powerful thing. And after you learn to do that for a while, you're going to learn how your point of view and your aesthetic creeps its way in. And you may be able to look back on your work and see that there was actually a style there. Maybe it wasn't the style you thought you were, but your actual true organic voice came out because you just did the work and there was something natural that came out of you when you did the work. So so what was that question even? Okay, how important is college for being successful in a design career? Um, let's just cross out college and put knowledge. However, whatever method you want to get that knowledge with, whether it's college, whether it's online classes, I think college is the most focused, straightforward way for you to learn. But think about an apprenticeship. Think about interning at design firms. Think about learning from the people that you really like. You know, like I said, I really teach a lot of good stuff on the Skillshare classes. I have a Skillshare class on um, T-shirt graphics. I actually take Tyler, the lead singer of the band 21 Pilots, interview him, hear what he wants for his merch. And I take you through my entire process of designing band tees. So you can check that out on skillshare.com and just look up my name, Brandon Reich, and you'll find that class. And there's another class on lettering. So, you know, with lettering, we see a lot of real beautiful scripts and stuff, but there's also lettering pieces that don't involve scripts. There's um, real life lettering pieces that can be used on different things where everything doesn't have to be this big elaborate script. So I teach a lettering course there and you're going to see a lot of the principles that I do that stuff with. Or you can go over to Creative Live and you can see some of these classes. I have one on applying distress effects, uh, creating t-shirt graphics. I have some lettering there, like hand lettering, all kinds of stuff. So I have four classes on Creative Live. I have two classes on Skillshare. That's a method of learning too. So maybe if you get in there and you take my classes, you'll be able to look around Skillshare or you look around Creative Live and you see all the other stuff you can learn. So I don't know. I mean, I guess college is expensive. Um, that's one of the knocks that you can have on it, but college has to be expensive to give you this focused, straightforward knowledge. Like they're going to give it to you in a really, really strict regimen, which is the most efficient use of your time. So from the ages of 18 to 22, you got to make sure you're, you're, you know, using your time wisely and going to college is going to make that streamline. I have a feeling that if you're 18 to 22, you can either be somebody who obsesses over these Skillshare and creative live videos, or maybe someone who just kind of looks at a class and sort of, you're not very motivated and it sort of takes a while and stuff like that. So I don't know. It depends on the personality, but you got to, if you're going to go to college, man, you got to use it wisely. You can't just use it as like an extended party. And, ex, you know, sometimes college is just an expensive party. Um, sometimes it's an extended high school. And if you're going to college for that, then you're not going to learn anything at all. But if you're going to go to college to be a great graphic designer, then um, maybe you'll make really, really good use of your time. So college or knowledge, however you want to get it. There's other ways, but I'm still a big advocate for, for college. I'm, I'm an advocate for any focused, dedicated way of learning something. If you want to dedicate yourself to something and focus on it, then I support that, whether it's college or Skillshare, Creative Live, apprenticeship, whatever. Just be dedicated to it, whichever method you choose. question is, do you often regret for some rejected concepts and brainstorm phase, which would later prove to be better solutions? So the question is basically, are you annoyed or mad when you look back and the best project was somewhere in the brainstorm phase? Like you had the best idea back there. And for whatever reason, whether it was the client's opinion, what the client chose, the best idea didn't get picked. Um, the short answer is yes, of course it drives me nuts, but I've been doing it for long enough to just accept the fact that that one back there, that was the best idea, but we'll work out this idea. If that's what you really want, if you can't see the vision for that idea back there, then that's okay. But I think that's the best, you know, it's kind of like what you think is the best path. 
you have to decide if you're the designer that forces that, if you're a salesman, if you're trying to force these ideas that you think are great on them, or are you going to take their opinion into account and know that the client's opinion and how they view themselves is also important. Maybe you do have a better idea, but maybe what they want is going to help them and enjoy the brand better. Maybe they're going to feel a little bit more included in the brand, even though you think you had some brilliant idea back in brainstorm phase. So do I regret it? Of course. But do I understand it now? Totally. I want the client to be happy more than I want myself to be happy. And that's, that's huge. If you can get to that point in your career, you're going to really see things differently. Like your career, the longevity of a career doesn't rely on you telling yourself you're awesome all the time. The longevity of your career uh, says that the people you work with say that you're awesome. And the people that you work with say that you're fun and easy to work with and that you're a hard worker and that you get stuff done and they listen to us and they, you know, they wanted the best for us and all that stuff. So yeah, I guess you have to decide if you're the type of designer who wants to fight your client constantly, which that exists totally. But for me, I'm the type of designer that wants my client to get what they want out of the whole thing. A lot of times there's really bad art direction. And of course, it's my job to polish that bad art direction up with a good end product. But yeah, the brain, the great idea left back at the brainstorming phase used to drive me nuts. But now I guess I've just learned to deal. This is an easy question. In what environment do you work best? Traveling or stationed somewhere? So I cannot work anywhere but my office. I just can't. I used to have the 17-inch PowerBook, or maybe it was MacBook Pro. The last time they made the 17-inch MacBook Pros, um, I used to have one of those because they're like, yeah, I got a big screen on it. I'll be able to work in a coffee shop or whatever. I can't do it. I just cannot do it. I realized that my iMac desktop is the only thing I can work on. It has a Cintiq 12-inch attached to it that comes out on the keyboard tray. It has a scanner attached to it. Obviously, there's a printer. There's a copy machine in my office. There's room to work. There's a sketchbook right beside me. That is the station that I want to work at all the time. And if I ever try or if you know, sometimes you have to make a quick revision and send it while you're traveling or something. That's possibly the most maddening thing that I have, that I can ever put myself through is, you know, sometimes my, I have actions, I have Apple scripts, I even have mouse functions. And if those things don't work and even looking at a screen that's smaller than my normal screen, it's just impossible. It's, it's just a nightmare for me to work anywhere else, but my desk. So no, my desk is the only thing I can work on. And the only thing, you know, maybe I'll get a new office someday and redesign the desk. You know, I'm thinking about doing one of these standing desks, but I need to have the home base. And unfortunately, I am terrible at working anywhere but my home base. So yeah, I just can't work remotely. I know Aaron Draplin says he has learned to work on his laptop remotely. Man, I just can't do it. So I'm terrible, terrible of doing it while traveling. And what's frustrating is I know that I could take all these vacations. I could basically go anywhere with an internet connection and work from there. But the reality is if I'm actually going to do that. I'm going to have to get one of those big expensive cases that put my iMac and my keyboard and my Cintiq and my scanner and my sketchbooks and all that stuff, and my printer even maybe. I'm going to have to put all that stuff in a big case and basically just set up my desk remotely if I ever want to like work and travel and kind of combine the two. But yeah, if I'm traveling and somebody needs a file or needs some work done, that's a, that's a sticky situation because I'm, I'm pretty much worthless if I'm not in my office. Okay, so I got a couple different questions that sort of connect to each other. One question is, this might be in the wrong direction for questions, but you use Apple scripts to help with efficiency. How do you use these to their potential and what do they set up for you? Folders and time scheduling, etc. And then another question is, what are tools or resources that you use that save time or streamlines your design process, freelance business, plugins, apps, products, software, etc.? Okay, so they're sort of in the same world. So basically the question is, what resources do I use to be more efficient? I have Apple scripts installed on my computer. If you don't know what an Apple script is, if you've ever messed with Automator, it's sort of this thing that you find that you do the same task over and over again. You do it the same way every time. 
And there's a way for you to automate that. Now, there's no really easy, quick way to do it. It's not like you can just get an automator and make it happen. Um, so I have these combinations of automator and Apple scripts. And script is actual code that's written out that defines what happens. So if this, then that type of thing. So the scripts that I use every day is I'll get an email in my inbox and I use Apple Mail. And I'll right click on that. And then there's a thing that, that happens in the, you know, the uh, dialog box or menu bar or whatever the right click menu, right click menu, that's what you call it. And it says set up schedule project. I hit set up schedule project and it asked me a bunch of questions that I've obviously told it to ask me. Who's this for? So let's just use Fallout Boy for an example. And I'll type in Fallout Boy. Next thing, what's a client code? I'll say FOB. Um, how many concepts? Um, three. How much do you get paid per concept? How much do you get paid per approval? And when is the due date? And it'll tell me. And then I've added what is the time zone of the due date? So it asked me, I don't know if that's seven or eight questions, whatever it is. It asked me that. And then when I answer that last question of time zone, it makes that um, spring-loaded folder sound. And there is an alias that hits my desktop. And it says Fallout Boy underscore 10 underscore 2015. So that would be October of 2015. That's an alias for a folder that's actually inside my projects folder. I create this projects folder. Um, I don't really ever use the whatever Apple, you know, that Apple home folder. I never mess with that. So I make my own thing called projects and projects archive. So now there's this new Fallout Boy folder inside uh, on my computer. And that's what I'll use whenever the project comes around. So the other thing that's happened is I'll look on my reminders app and I see that Fallout Boy is due on this day. Um, you know, it's due next Tuesday. So I see that in the reminders. Another thing that happens is there's an orange flag that gets put on that email. So I know that that's the email that becomes sort of like my, that's like the main brief. That's the, you know, that has all the information. So I try to make sure my clients put all the information they possibly can in that initial email. I even try to get them to write fallout boy in all caps in the subject line. And um, like I said, there is that folder on my desktop. So all of those things happen, but it happens in a matter of, I don't know, like 15 seconds. It probably takes me 15 seconds to do that. The only real manual work I do is I reply to them and say, yes, I can do it. I could even automate that. I could have it automatically reply to that email and say, yes, I can do that. So that's a big way that I automate things. Inside Photoshop, there's plenty of actions that I've set up. Um, a lot of times I'll do a design for somebody and I'll do my best to make sure that I can hide the background layer and you don't see anything but a white and gray checkerboard behind it. So I've made it completely transparent. I have Photoshop canvas is 16.5 by 20.5 at like 300 DPI. So I have an action where it will save a square PNG file could be like 1100 by 1100 pixels. It'll save in a square PNG file of just the design by itself. And it'll throw that on the desktop. And then I'll also take that and I'll put it on a mock-up of a t-shirt and I have this huge um, mock-up Photoshop file with all these layers, and it can go on a T-shirt, on a hoodie, on booty shorts, on girls' shirts, on uh, a lighter, on a coffee mug, all this stuff that's all in one Photoshop file. So what I try to do with every design is, you know, obviously I'm talking about band merchandise here. What I try to do with every design is provide my client with a mock-up of the design on the T-shirt, maybe a couple colorways, but also a PNG file of the design by itself. So if they want to try to put it on different colorways or a different type of garment or whatever, that they can do that without having to ask me to do the quick revision. So it, it makes it more efficient where I empower the client to make quick revisions without having to ask me, but it also saves me time so that someone's not asking me for a revision that I, they can actually do on their own. So I just want to make it as easy as possible for everybody involved. Yeah, so that's some way I use some automation. I'm trying to think of what else I would do that's automated, some of the other resources that I use. I use Astute Graphics Illustrator plugins. I think Illustrator came out with the rounded corner thing, but Astute Graphics had that before Illustrator came out with it. I actually think that Illustrator will end up absorbing Astute Graphics and you're going to have all these new features. But look at Astute Graphics. They'll, they'll do so many cool things for you inside Illustrator and Photoshop. One of my favorite things is, you know, if you have this vector art that has all these anchor points that like way too many anchor points than what's needed, you can take it and basically run a brush over it or select it and they'll clear out all those extra anchor points. And it just makes everything so much quicker because I'm the OCD guy that wants as little amount of anchor points as possible on the vector art. So 
That's one really great thing. Astute Graphics, A-S-T-U-T-E. They're a company out of England and they make fantastic plugins for Illustrator and Photoshop. They make design so much easier and so much quicker. Yeah, set up the Photoshop actions. Figure out if there's plugins that can make things go quicker. I have some techniques that I've kind of created on how I like to distress things. I started noticing the way things actually wear over time as opposed to just making things look dirty for the sake of being dirty. So I created Photoshop actions that do that. So I don't know, just kind of what you're trying to do as far as Automator um, and Apple Script stuff, you're just trying to figure out, oh, I do the same thing every time. Is there a way for me to just hit a button and all that stuff will happen without it, uh, without me having to do the same thing every time? I know that I write the same email all the time, like so-and-so, here's what I came up with for Fallout Boy, and I send them a link. I use Cloud App. That's how I usually send big files. Cloud App is really easy. It goes up in your menu bar. I use FreshBooks for my invoicing. That's become really easy. Yeah, so there's all these different resources that I use. I'm trying to think of what else is kind of... Yeah, between Apple Scripts, FreshBooks, Asuit Graphics, Illustrator plugins, Cloud App, whatever inefficient work, I try to zap it out and fix it and make new scripts. So I may create a new script that writes that email for me instead of typing out, here's what I came up with for Fallout Boy. It'll take all the information from that folder that I sent up before and it will uh, write the email for me. It'll find the name of the person that I'm writing, all kinds of stuff. Like you can make Apple scripts do all kinds of stuff like that. I also have right-click things on the desktop. I could add hyphen. Uh, A-R-T or hyphen, M-O-C-K, whatever. It will add a suffix, but I think that the OS has that stuff in it now anyway, so you can rename things. So, you know, like for instance, right-click a bunch of folders and then uh, use that menu and do rename. And you'll see what it feels like to fix so many things at one time so effortlessly. And then once you start to understand that, then you should start getting into Photoshop actions and Illustrator actions and um, you know, Apple scripts and automator, but I, I wish I could tell you how the, what the quick way to do the automator task and the Apple scripts. I have this guy who just knows about all that stuff, but it's sort of like uh, he's doing it on the side type of thing. So it might, um, you know, I, it might be disappointing for me to just refer you to that guy because I don't know that he has the time to do that. But you got to find maybe you could check out Elance. I think Elance. Uh, I think they changed their name to like Upwork or something like that. But um, Elance. Maybe you could find somebody who specializes in the automator task or something like that. That might be kind of cool. Um, maybe somebody can do that for you. So I don't know. Look around, um, understand what automator task and, you know, Apple scripts and all that stuff is. It'll make your life so much easier. And that's that's a huge reason why I work as fast as I can. The last question. How do you set and communicate schedule boundaries between work and personal life? Now, this is this, I put this question last because this just boils everything down. This is the reason that I'm doing the podcast because my career has allowed me no real time for actual friendships. You know, those friendships where you hang out with people on a regular basis. I don't have any of those. I used to. And the deeper I dig into my work and the kind of like the more successful my career is going, the less I'm going to be hanging out with my friends because they're sort of the first to go when, you know, when you don't have time, it's like, Hey, I can't make it tonight. Hey, I can't make it. Hey, I can't make it. I know you're having a party. I can't make it. And after you say, I can't make it about 20 times, it starts fading off and these friendships start tapering off and, and it's unfortunate. So I guess my answer to how I do I set and communicate scheduled boundaries between work and personal life is uh, I have no idea. And that's the problem. And I'm doing this podcast to kind of trick myself into thinking that I have friends out there uh, online. I think that I am I'm good in relationships. Like I, I do, um, I do engage with people. I'm I like to think I'm a decent friend, but this work sort of just like you know I I just use all my time for work, and I don't. There's not like a time set aside to hang out with people and to be social. You know, I'm married to a woman that I've known since I was 16 years old. So we've been together for. Um, a long time. So we'll have been married for a decade next year, but we've known each other for like 16 years. So that relationship, I'm lucky that I'm not out trying to meet people. You know, I'm not trying to find a relationship or anything like that. So there's no real need for that social thing. You know, like, um, you know, I'm married, I'm at home, like we, we get along and we stick together. We're kind of like all we need sometimes. So I'm not the type of person that's going out 
trying to like be a part of a big friend group or anything like that. I've done it. You know, it's not for me. Um, I'd rather just stay and keep working. So that balance is, is way off. And I wish there was a way that I could communicate with people, like-minded people on a more regular basis. And for me and the way my life is right now, I feel like this podcast is is filling that void, or at least I'm going to attempt to have this fill that void. Um, but if it, if it doesn't fill the void, then I've got to make some serious changes. And, you know, I want to be able to do the work that I do, but I also want to be able to exhale from time to time. And I haven't really given myself that time yet. So I'm not going to sit here like I have that figured out because I definitely do not have that life work balance figured out. And I know that I did a podcast uh, interview a long time ago for um, the balance podcast. And I think he asked that life work balance. And I said the same thing. I don't have it. I'm not there. I haven't figured it out. All I know how to do is just work nonstop all day, every day. And that's been able to give me a really good career. But in the process of giving myself a really long career, I've sort of like removed myself from a lot of friend groups. And unfortunately, those friend groups take things personal and they think it's about them or something like that. It's not about them. It's it's just that I really, really love what I do for a living and I like wrapping up in it and I like to kind of dig my nose into it. And, um, you know, if I could do, you know, I do it all day, every day, and I really like doing it all day, every day. And I think that a lot of friend groups don't really... Uh, I don't know. They don't understand that. You know, it's, well, it makes me think of something. I was at the Apple store not too long ago. I got this little weird thing with my phone, like the screen clicks. So it's like the glass on the screen, you know, it's kind of detached a little bit. And you know how Apple is, like they'll just replace the phone in that situation. I walk in and at this point, normally Apple's wearing the blue shirts with the Apple logo. Now they have charcoal gray shirts with the Apple logo. So what I did was I looked around at first, I was just trying to make eye contact with somebody with gray shirt. And then I started, okay, I wasn't making eye contact with anybody. Everybody seems to pretty busy. Here's this guy. He's walking out of the back room and I say, Hey man, I got a question real quick. And he looks at me and said, uh, I'm not, I'm not working. I'm on my way out. And he was headed towards the door. It was, the, I mean, it's a good thing for Apple, but that's the meanest that anybody's ever been to me at the Apple store. I don't know what your Apple store is like, but normally they're extremely pleasant. I was kind of surprised that this guy was being such a jerk to me because, you know, I think the better way to do that would be, um, I'm actually on my way out. This is Tom. He can help you out. Um, thanks, Tom. Tom, this is Brandon. He's got a problem with his phone, blah, blah, blah. They could do that, but for whatever reason, homeboy was just like, I am not working. I'm out. And it made me realize there's never a time when you're going to talk to me and I say that I am not my job. I'm a graphic designer all the time and I do not have the job that you turn off at a time. It's I'm always working. I'm always busy and I'm always this. And it's, it blows my mind when someone's like, oh, I'm off the clock. I'm not doing this right now. So I was a graphic designer two minutes ago. Right now, I am not a graphic designer, but I'm not that way. I'm always this. My headspace is always in here. So this is what I always want to be doing. And I am not detached from my work. I am my work. I think about, you know, people with the last name of like Miller or whatever, like where their name or Schumacher or something like that, where their name actually describes what they do for a living. He was a Miller. He made shoes or whatever. That's sort of what I feel like. Like I'm an artist all the time and I don't really detach myself from it. So it's very possible that if I see you in social situations and you want to get into a conversation about branding, then I'm going to get real fired up on that conversation. But if we want to get in some conversation about like gossiping about people or um, sports or whatever. It's just, I'm not into it. I just, I don't know how to communicate that way. I've had branding on my mind all day, every day. I've had over analyzing every little, you know, element of something to figure out what it actually is all day, every day. And that's pretty much what I kind of what I want to talk about. Um, but people just aren't ready for it. So what I've realized is maybe maybe that friend group isn't the time and place for that. Um, but maybe if you could figure out something where you could talk to a broader group of people that are more focused and you have the similar interest in like a podcast, then maybe that would be good for you. So luckily I have all you wonderful people in podcast land and all you wonderful people on Twitter that have tweeted me questions to fill this whole episode up with. I can't tell you how great it is to know that I'm not alone. And when I ask questions about design that you're there to give me your questions and then I realize there's other people in this room that I've been in. So thank you guys so much for your questions. Thank you guys so much for giving me the material for episode 
of the graphics sound. I really appreciate you. I really appreciate these questions. There's actually a ton more. I had 50 questions and I think I only got to like five or six of these. So uh, maybe I'll do another episode with questions. I'll keep a hold of these questions. I might get new ones. I really want you to know that what you ask me is going to get on the air and I'm going to answer your questions. I'm going to get to you eventually. And I want you to feel like we're in this together. I want you to feel like this is a conversation. So thank you guys so much for listening. I hope something in here helped you. You know, I hope that you can be a little bit more inspired and more creative and more motivated throughout your day and through your work. I just hope you just feel a little bit better. That's all. So this is Brandon Reich. You've been listening to The Graphic Sound. Thank you. Graphic Sound was created by me, Brandon Reich. You can find me at Brandon Reich on all social media and on BrandonReich.com. This episode was produced by myself and Brian Skeel of ChrisGrahamMastering.com. Theme music by The Hands of Stone. Title intro song remix by my good friend Jesse Kale at Jesse Kale on Twitter. Outro song by Poddington Bear from SoundOfPicture.com. In this episode, I reference some of the online design classes that I teach. If you are interested, take a look on both CreativeLive.com and Skillshare.com to find me. A search for my last name, Rike, R-I-K-E, should do it. You can find more info on this podcast at thegraphicsound.com and join the conversation by liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thegraphicsound. Thank you for listening and listen to me. Don't let them kill your soul. Oh,